Good morning, Battleground. Uh, that's a good response. All right. Um, so first, before we get started, um, it's, you know, I just want to thank you again for the opportunity to be up here and just kind of filling in for Pastor Stephen. So I know he's been going through uh, just a lot this week with his family, and uh, here in a minute when we pray, uh, just you know, be thinking about his mom and um, all her testing and then what her, her treatment plan will be. So, um, but <clears throat> we're going to finish out Romans 4 today, and we've been there for a while. We had landed that plane uh, a little over a month ago uh, and started to really focus in on Abraham and his faith. And then the implications of that faith and the theology that kind of lays behind that faith. Um, so as we go into it, I want you to do as we do every week here, which is to kind of stand with me in uh, the honor of God's word. Uh, Romans chapter 4. We started where we kind of finished last week in verse 18. And uh, just listen uh, to these verses and then we'll begin to just kind of break them down this morning. <clears throat> says, in hope, talking about Abraham, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, uh, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespass, and raise for our justification. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to come together as a congregation, as a people, um, as an assembly, Lord, of people under the umbrella of Christ who gave his life for us. Lord, we are grateful for your son Jesus, and we are grateful for the promise that was set before that Abraham believed in. Lord, I am thankful today to be up here and for all those who just encouraged me through the week and whether it's through text or reaching out to me. Lord, know that in my weakness that your word goes out and it doesn't return void. So I pray that same truth over today, that you would just give me the words to speak, the clarity, the ability to be able to uh, bring to light what your truth is, and Lord, that many will be encouraged uh, by this message and by what um, you've accomplished just in and of our faith and the gift that you gave us uh, with it. Lord, guide us as we go into this word now. In your name we pray. Amen. So before I, I jump in, I kind of wanted to share with you a discussion I had um, last week with our one of our young adults. Um, he doesn't go to this church, but he's part of a partnering church with us. And just having a conversation prior to our meeting last Sunday evening or uh, last Sunday afternoon. And um, in talking to him, I just asked, I'm like, how did this sermon go at your church today? Um, and his response to me was, 
sense of faith. He's like, you know, I get it. And, but at the same time, there seems to be a redundancy in these messages. And, you know, I tried to and wanted to encourage him. And it made me think about you guys this morning as we're working really on the fourth sermon of this chapter based on faith. And we've been talking a lot about faith anyways here, uh, just with our new building and what God's done. So I can get the tendency where people get tired of maybe hearing a word. But please understand that everything hinges on this word. And there is a reason. And what I try to get across to him and, and what I want to get across to you um, is that, you know, there's a reason for this. Um, there's a reason for this repetition um, and that we preach in the way that we preach here and the way that, you know, our partnering churches preach. Um, because we believe that the author of the text, he used repetition to get a point across. You know, sure, Paul could have came in and just kind of outlined this really quick for us and moved away from it. But he saw that it was important. So that's where I want to leave you today. Understanding that, yes, we've talked about faith here over the last four sermons. But understanding that the repetition we're trying to get across is to help you understand that faith is something that was given to you to live out and to feel encouraged by. So that's my hope for you today, that you're, you're able to take that and to do that. And we're looking through the lens of Abraham, I know, over the past four sermons. But at the same time, the significance and the impact that that has on your own life. Um, so I, I hope that you see that, and especially today as we kind of turn that corner to today from kind of theology, as we've been kind of looking at, of how God saves to more of application of what comes out of that. So today, for me, is about two words primarily. Um, one that you're used to, which is faith, and the other is produces, um, because it is impossible for faith to exist and not produce something in your life. It is impossible. So church, uh, if you're thinking today, and, and we, you know, Pastor Stephen brings us up, Often, I was listening to a sermon by Paul Washer this week. He, he brought it up that if we are just leaning in on our faith, I use that term loosely here, and it's not doing anything, it is not faith at all. So as we talk through this this morning, I hope you understand it produces something, whether it's internal, something inside of us, or something external, something that's going on outside of us, that faith is always producing. There is no such thing as an apathetic faith, faith, or as James would say, a faith that does not work itself out. If you have bought into that lie, I hope today that you will repent and turn from it and believe that faith produces something. And this brings us to the main idea that I hope you get across today that faith despite what you may think or how you may feel in this moment in time given all that you may be going through and, and thinking about what's happening in your life despite that it always has a producing effect so when you walk out of here today and you chew on this and you think about it that you understand that faith has something that it produces and, for, and the first characteristic that we see today is, uh, we're going to go back to 18 and 19 and read it. It says, In hope, 
he believed against hope that he, Abraham, should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb. So here's what we take away as that first characteristic today is that faith produces a steadfast hope. That's what it should be producing in all of us. Paul here uses an oxymoron. Hope against hope. What is that? What does that mean? What does that even look like? I had to ponder that question. It was probably the biggest thing that stood out to me this week. The very first thing that Paul says as we go into this sermon is that Abraham hoped against hope. I'm like, I've got I to figure this out. So... As I begin to look at it it, it, it turned me back to when God made his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17. And, and it's building off, that covenant is in Genesis 17, it's building off of chapters 12 through 16 ultimately. And Abraham goes against all logic here. When you study that story and we reminisce on the life of Abraham, he defies anything that makes sense. Hoping against what really makes all logical sense in his life at that point. For all anatomical purposes, it was impossible for Sarah to conceive a child. It was impossible. She was barren. Her womb was dead. We'll talk about that a little bit here more shortly. So rather than becoming dissuaded of God's promise because of this, he clings to it instead. He holds fast to it. He doesn't let go of the promise of God. Despite the fact that everything else seems to be screaming in the opposite direction. Everything else seems to be telling him, this ain't going to happen. Remember, it's been a long 25 years for Abraham, right? We talked about that last week. 74 years old to 20, or 74 years old to 99 years old. Just think back yourself over the last 5, 10, 15, 25 years and reflect on what it's been like, what it must have been like for Abraham. So just think about over your own life trajectory. And maybe some things that you would want to see happen, that you would hope to see happen, and how long you've had to wait patiently for God to bring those things to fruition. And you think back to Abraham, year after year after year, like many of us, wondering when is God going to do something? When's God going to act? You know, it makes me think of people in my own life who don't know Christ, been praying for him for decades now. Many of you are like that. And you're wondering, when is, when's, is God going to act? When is he going to act? And we're reminded through Abraham that he went through the same thing. Again, that year after year that he, he dealt with this, if, if, if this was going to be the year or not. 
Have you been there, church? Have you been in that place of wondering? Of questioning God, of doubting? I hope when we look at Abraham's life, it encourages you. We read these psalms that we've read this morning. And we'll finish with today that it encourages you. But you know what? Despite all of that, Abraham never lost sight. No matter what he went through, the ups and downs, uh, uh, the fact that they tried to come up with their own plan, uh, all these things that happened in his life, that he never lost sight of God's promise and what God was going to do. He hoped against hope. That's what it means. Despite what everything else was telling him, he hoped anyways. He didn't hope for a short time and then give up. The Bible doesn't tell us that. That is not what faith is. It is not saying, okay, I'm going to trust in God for a short time in my life. And if he doesn't do what I'm going to do, I'm going to give up on him. Abraham didn't do that. He hoped against his aging body. He hoped against infertility. He hoped against what everyone else was saying and thinking. And he hoped against all of his own doubts. That's what Abraham was up against. Can you imagine? Now, we use the word Abraham here because the covenant has been fulfilled. God gave him that name in Genesis 17. But from 12 to 16 of Genesis, his name was Abram, which meant father of many. Now, can you imagine the time in his life during that 24 or 25-year period when he went and he gave his name to people? Oh, what's your name? It's good to have you here in town. I'm Abram. Why? Name means father of many. You have none. You have no children. There is no heir. You think that Abram didn't have his own doubts during that period? As people laughed and scoffed and probably mocked him, probably questioned why are you named that? God, Abram didn't care because he knew that there would come a day where he would be a father of many. Matter of fact, his name would change in Genesis 17 to become a, a father of multitudes. So in the midst of all Abraham hoped, that's what he did. In the midst of all this, Abraham hoped. I hope that you're getting something that no matter what's going on in your life, that you are hoping for what God's promised. Recognizing that promise is fulfilled in Christ, but still being fleshed out in our life. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Church, I'm going to come back to you. I, 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 honestly, I have no clue. I'm talking about we see each other maybe a couple of times a week. Some, some of you I talk to more often than that. I honestly have no clue, you know, what all of you are going through this week, day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. I have no clue. It could be pain. It could be suffering. It could be the, the loss of loved ones. It could be doubt in your own life. It could be concern for others and their salvation or concern for others just in general, maybe their health. There's a lot that's going on in your life. And I personally have no idea of that. And, 
and that suffering and that pain and, and all that comes with it, this running its course through your life. But my hope is this, that you will understand all that you've been through, that you'll grab a hold of your faith in Christ. That is the, the point of this message this morning, is that you will be like Abraham and grab a hold of the faith in your life. And that it becomes a sustaining hope to you. It becomes a steadfast hope to you. Psalm 62, 5, 6 reads, Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will not be shaken. Hebrews 6, 17 and 19 shares that because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs, talking about Abraham in that, of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Listen to this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Let Christ be that for you today. Let him be a hope for you that becomes an anchor for your soul that is firm and secure. I love the song we sung this morning, that God is our rock, He is our salvation. Let Him be that for you, church. Trust in Him. Hold to your steadfast hope. So, how is it Abraham and you can have such a steadfast hope? That kind of beckons the question. Leads us to the next point I want to make is, because Abraham's faith led to a steadfast hope, producing a resilient faith with him. So faith produces a resilient faith. So don't miss the point here. Faith is a supernatural event and gift that God gives you. But it does not remain just faith. How do I know this? Verses 19 through 20. So I'm going to go back to 19 again. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Faith produces a resilient faith. It doesn't say that Abraham kept the same faith it says he was strengthened in his faith it produced his faith through his hope produced a resilient faith it is a faith that kept him to the end it's it's like Paul says that we continue on that race without falling it's because the resiliency of our faith shows the genuineness of the fact of our faith in the first place Paul utilizes verse 19 here to create a bridge between steadfast hope and a resilient faith. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver. 
So you remember, despite all the circumstances, despite everything he's been through at this point, no unbelief etched its way into his heart and made his faith waver. See, this is speaking specifically back to the end of verse 19. Leaning in on his old age and Sarah's barren womb. Some of us may have a tendency to, to struggle with this. Because we look back to Genesis 16, right? And we think, well, it doesn't seem like Abraham had a lot of faith there. And if you remember that, and we put in question Abraham's faith. But we were, if you go back to that passage, what happens is Sarah comes to him, right? And says, hey, I've got a way that we can have a child. We're going to kind of step outside of marriage. And I want you to have a child with our servant Hagar. And Abraham goes along with this idea. And yes, this was disobedience on Abraham and Sarah's part. And it was sin. But Abraham does not doubt God's promise here. Don't don't mess up the fact that because he acts on something, because he's sinful in something, that he has started to doubt God's promise. What he does here, he tries to establish his own means by which to have a child. He's not doubting God's promise that he's going to have a child. He's just doubting the means by which maybe that he needs to kind of, you know, take place in God's plan. What we do, I'm going to help God out here a little bit. I'm not going to really wait on him or his timing. But I'm going to kind of interject myself into his will and purpose for my life. And I'm going to make something happen. I'm going to bring forth his promise. And that's exactly what Abraham does. He doesn't doubt the promise. He doesn't lack faith. He just tries to bring about his own means and purpose uh, about bringing God's promise to fruition. We do the same thing. We do. And we think that we can produce God's will for our lives rather than just trusting Just simply trusting in God. And when we do this, when Abraham did this, there are implications, by the way. We'll look at some of that. It says, now what of this week, uh, sorry, the now what of this week, we'll dig deeper into that. So I hope, you know, if you're in a small group that you study that. If you're not in a small group and you're not going to have the chance that you look at that individually. And I challenge you to go through that study and it focuses on Galatians where Paul is dealing with this issue of faith and the law and of the promise to Abraham and and how they try to work that out and flesh it out in the life of Hagar so I I would encourage you to to definitely take a look at that this week and to go through that and those questions but we, we look at that and this now what, and we dig deeper. And it should remind you of last week's, if you looked at the now what there, verses 23 and 24 of Psalms 37. It says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. So thinking back to Abraham, his own disobedience, he delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Let that be a promise to you. Though you stumbled, though Abraham stumbled, it did not annul the promise of God. It says the Lord holds them by the hand. 
And in the same way, he does the same thing for us. That no matter what you've been through, what you're going through, all the implications of your life and what you've been through up to this point, that God is for you and he's been with you and he continues to sustain you and hold you up. Just as he did Abraham. Never lose sight of that. So why do I bring up Genesis 16? Because it points us back to the end of both verse 17. So the disobedience in 16 of Genesis 16. I think we have to know that. I had to point that out this morning. Because to understand what's going on at the end of both verse 17. Which we talked about last week. Where... God who gives the life to the dead and calls in existence all things that do not exist. In verse 19, since he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb is what it says there. All of those pull in together. We have to understand it. Of what Paul is saying. See, 11 years before God comes to him in Genesis 17... So, 74 years old, up to 88 years old. Abraham, Sarah, trying to have a child. Sarah comes to him at the, the young age of 88 and says, Hey, I've got this plan. I want you to you know, have a child with our servant. So, 11 years before God comes to him in Genesis 17, which puts him at 99 years old, they come up with this plan. And Abraham then comes to understand that outside of God working, they will never have a child. How do I know this? Because at 88 years old, Abraham's able to have a child. Sarah's not, her womb is barren, her womb is dead. It has no existence of life within it. It is impossible for a child to come from her womb. So Abraham has to lean back in on this understanding of faith. Understanding that outside, as I said earlier, of God's working, they would never have a child. And despite knowing the issue of his wife's barrenness, his faith never wavers regardless because he believes, or as Hebrews 11.1, 1, which I read earlier, states, he is convicted that God will accomplish what he has promised. It goes on to say that despite this, his faith grew stronger despite the circumstances. Despite knowing that Sarah would never have a child, that it was impossible for her to do so they tested this out 11 years prior Abraham's good he has a child it's not him God has a reason for this though this is a resilient faith that Abraham has it grows stronger despite the circumstances the same should be true in the life of us as believers despite our circumstances that as we wait on God that we never waver. That it only helps our resolve, our faith grow stronger, more resilient. 
you know, it reminds me, and that's why I really enjoyed the song this morning. Had no clue they were singing that. But it reminds me of the parable of the builder that Jesus taught. That Abraham built his faith on that solid rock. That with, before this parable was ever shared, Abraham built it on the promise of God. So that when life came crashing down on him, when those 25 years he had to wait came crashing down on him, when you have to wait comes and seems like this great burden in your life that he never wavered and that we may not waver. He didn't lean on his own understanding or his own circumstances, but his faith. Steadfast hope and resilient faith point us to where our stories and Abraham's ultimately intersect. And that is to the fact that faith produces glory. Let's look at verse 20b through 22. I'm going to read all of 20. But it says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he did what, church? Gave glory to God. Amen. Imagine in that moment of, of, of the difficulty of waiting, giving glory to God. 21 says, fully what? Mm -hmm. Verse 21, fully what? Convinced. This is what made him give glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That despite everything else that we have already mentioned here today, that God was able to do what he had promised. God had removed every other man-made reason and attempt from Abraham to the point where Abraham had to give all the glory to where it was only due. He had Removed everything. And sometimes we wonder in our life, why is it that this has not come to fruition yet? It is because he was removing everything from us so that we or other circumstances cannot take the credit of what God rightfully deserves. Faith produces something and it produces a glory. It produces that steadfast hope. It produces a resilient faith. But then that produces glory. By miraculously giving life to Sarah's womb, remember it's barren, it's dead. It, it, it literally has nothing, uh, no capability of bringing forth life. By miraculously giving life to Sarah's womb and bringing forth a child, no one could take away the credit that was due to God. So Abraham had faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Remember going back, and he's looking at the circumstances of Sarah. And then it, Paul also points to his old age by the time he gets to 99. He was as good as dead. I found that funny that Paul wrote that. He was as good as dead. Yet, yet God gets the glory because outside of all those other circumstances when 
coming to this point in Abraham's life, it's like, what am I holding to? It's God. So Abraham had faith and was counting him righteousness. In faith, God alone was the only one who could make this happen. I hope you understand that. It's the only one can make this happen. And that's true in your life, ultimately. He is the only person that can bring something forth, really, in your life. And that every day is a grace to you. That every day is faith. It is something that he has given. So God is calling you to that same faith. that relinquishes control. It's a huge problem in our life. We like to maintain control. We like to hold on to all of these different factors that we think bring forth, you know, God's purpose and his will in our life. And we don't want to relinquish those things over to him. We don't want to turn that dependency upon him. But he rightfully deserves it and he will bring it about because he deserves the glory. I know I've said that four times. What does that repetition mean? Trying to get a point across to you. Even when something good happens in your life and you think it's in and of you, it's not. He stripped everything away from Abraham to make this apparent. And he'll do the same to us if that's what it comes to. And Abraham didn't just determine the promise to be something beneficial for him alone. But he recalled the promise of the one to come who would redeem a people a people. That's you and me as people meeting all across the world right now or on different days. As people throughout history who have called on Christ. That's what Abraham believed. He didn't see it just as a salvific moment for himself. He saw it being for a people. It is why Paul says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. So this is speaking to us, as verse 24 and 25 says, Who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Is for us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Don't miss that. That's why we are here today. That's why the church exists. There are a lot of churches across America that meet right now that don't talk anything about this. They neglect to mention the name of Jesus in their sermons and their songs, and their worship, and their teaching. But we can't get away from it here. And in that, it produces, our faith does, a salvific urgency for others. Verse 23 to 25. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. It was counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Outside of the resurrection, we should not be meeting. But because Christ was raised from the dead, 
we can have hope and faith in God and his promise that it came to completion. Because he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So how do I know this about Abraham that he had a concern of like salvation for other people? You know, the might. The promise was far off in the sense of the, the, the airship that God had promised him. It was a couple of thousand years off at this point. It wasn't in view. But listen to Jesus' own words from John eight fifty six. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. See, he desired for Christ to come, the seed to come, the promise of Genesis 3.15 to come. He desired for Christ to come. And based on that passage, and I'm going to have you write this down, Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. You can go back and look at that later. Abraham had some understanding of God's eternal plan. I don't know the depth of that. I don't know fully in what God had revealed to Abraham. But I had no doubt that he had some understanding of God's eternal plan. And had an urgency for the one to come who would save a people. In the same way, our faith should produce an urgency for others to trust in the promise of the resurrected Christ. Abraham's faith and ours lies with this essential truth. That our faith is assured. The promise has come to fruition. It's assured in the resurrected Christ. There is nothing else that we are waiting on. Abraham looked forward to a day. We look back to a day. That Christ was resurrected for all of a people. For all believers. So that we may have hope in a future of something new to come. And oftentimes, we get down on ourselves when we attempt to share the promises of God with others, right? This is kind of the difficulty we get into when we try to share our faith and have this urgency and we, we want to, others to come to know Christ. Can I tell you this? But don't let this be a reason for complacency or not doing it at all. But trust God that he will produce a work of faith in his people. It's all throughout scripture that he will complete his work. That he will do his work. And we are a means by which he uses to accomplish that. So take joy and be glad in it. Have urgency with it. Knowing that Christ will save his people just as he accomplished with us. And just as he accomplished with Abraham. So what, right? It's pretty simple. It's laid out before you. I use this word in trust because I don't want you to trust your own faith. I want you to entrust the source of your faith. So... I wanted to say that so you understood what I meant by entrust when it comes to that. So four things for you today. 
And trust that your faith is producing steadfast hope, even when you can't see it. Oftentimes we cannot see it. And trust that your faith is producing that. Because I guarantee you, 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, you will look back and be like, I'm not the same person I once was. My faith has grown stronger. My hope in Christ has grown stronger. So trust. And trust your faith that's producing a steadfast hope. And trust that your faith is producing a stronger or more resilient faith. Even when you want to quit. Even when you want to give up. Even when everything seems to be going against you. And trust that the fact that your faith is producing something more resilient within you. And that goes back to that when the waves come crashing. Your foundation is secure on that rock who is Christ. And on the promises of God. Third, and trust that your faith is producing glory even when it feels like it's for nothing like when you're being faithful and you feel like you're doing the right thing and you're trying to live by your faith and all these things and hope and and, and strengthening of your faith and you just don't feel like it's producing anything like what's happening know that it's producing glory And as we know from Scripture, it's producing not only glory, but an eternal weight of glory. And a lot of times we can't see what it's producing. So don't be discouraged when it feels like it's nothing. Because I can guarantee you, you know, just this week, people encouraging me from last week. It's producing something even though I can't see it. No matter how discouraged we get or how down we get or how things aren't going our way at the moment or where it seems like, where's your promise, God? Know that it's producing glory. And ultimately, that's what it's about. It's not about us, but it's about we're ultimately glorifying God. And last, and trust that your faith is producing a desire for Christ in others. As much as you may share your faith and you don't see any fruits from it, you labor out in the fields, you attempt to you know, rationalize with people the loss that you come across and share Christ with them and trust your faith that is producing a desire for Christ in others, even when there seems to be no fruit from it. And trust your faith. Because I guarantee you this, that while it may only be you planting the seed, and somebody else may come along and water, two things are going to happen. One, the person is going to reject it. Or two, as we know from Scripture, God's called a people unto himself. We're just to be obedient to it. To may we have an urgency for it. I'm going to finish with Psalm 135 and 6. It says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. 
more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. May your whole being, as it waits, wait in hope. And may it lean back into your faith that God has graciously given you. May we pray. Father, we, again, as we come, Lord, to you in worship, in song, as the tables are opened, and Lord, we're reminded of the, at the table of the resurrected Christ, of the promise that we, Lord, get to enjoy And Lord, that we take it with a sense of enjoyment and and celebration, but also with a, a time of looking introspectively into our own lives. Looking at our own doubts, our own sins, our own disobedience. And Lord, knowing the cost of that, that you justified us out of it. That when God looks at us, we are justified because you were raised from the dead. And our faith lies in that. And we thank you that it began with the time of a man named Abraham. And Lord, as you gave him that gift, that you have given us the same. So guide us as we go and may... We dwell on that this week as we turn to a new chapter next week and we begin to look at the object of that faith who the last verse begin to hit on today, your son Jesus. And we look and gaze upon his beauty in the coming weeks as Stephen preaches. I pray that you just prepare him. And Lord, that we don't forget about this passage as we turn to pages. But we understand that Paul is just continuously building up, teaching us much about you. God, God, as we go out of here, may our faith, Lord, just be producing something within us. In your name I pray. Amen.